Alright, so, Annie, what have we been studying in the sermons for the last hmm, four weeks? Love. Simon, what Bible passage? 1 Corinthians 13. And Ellie or Lily, can you remember the last verse of that passage about love? I'll give you a clue. The greatest and the greatest of these is love. Awesome. Alright. Finn, could you hand these out? Yes, There we go. Now, I probably, uh, Graham's already done it, but I hardly need to introduce you to this, to this passage, right? It's, uh, we've been doing it for a while, and yet, and yet this love that Paul speaks of is, is so foreign to our fallen human nature that, that we still, I think, at least I still have an age to learn all the truths revealed here. And uh, so let's, let's read it again and let's try to hear it with fresh ears all over again. So I want somebody who hasn't read it out before to read it out so that we can ponder each verb, every noun, all the adjectives, all the adverbs and all the prepositions. Don't worry about the articles. Um, Ellie, could you read it? This, read this passage. It's up here, just big voice. So, Ellie, you ready? If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding song or a plain symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in the part, and we prophesy in part. But with completeness comes what is in the part. What is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I taught, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of my childhood behind me. For now, we we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Thanks, Ellie. Such a wonderful passage. Now the verse that we're focusing on today is verse 6. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And we're looking at those two two aspects. But before we dig into the passage, I want to play a short clip that, uh, that I think shows how our culture understands love and loving someone. When I was looking for clips, I, I came across a lot from, um, oh, what's it called? Uh, the School of Learning, the 
some there's some sort of some sort of school of learning thing on YouTube that's got all these psychology animated psychology videos. Oh, it's S K O O L. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, there, there's some decent stuff there. Yeah, but it's it's uh it's very uh, dogmatic and some of it's very debatable. Um, certainly from a Christian perspective, but that's what that's what our kids are learning. That's how they learn now. They they go to YouTube. They don't ask their parents and they they don't look up the Encyclopedia Britannica. Not that we ever did. But um, this video is is a, a motivational clip titled How to Love People for Who They Are. So let's listen to the wisdom from YouTube. That's interesting. <laughs> I was thinking of after school. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's, there's some school of life or something like that, and it's all, yeah, psychological stuff. It is pretty, there's some pretty cool stuff, and it's got a lot of relational stuff, so... But it's it's coming from a particular perspective, like this, like this was. Um, so, what does this clip assume about the human struggle? About what we as human beings are really wrestling with, where we've come from, where we're going, and what's stopping us getting to where we want to be? And how is that different from the Christian perspective? Now, I know this is a, a tricky question. So. Um, well, it's sort of emphasised in that little short clip that quite often those that are seen as having it all together mm. probably isn't necessarily so. Yep. You know, it's highlighting the fact that everyone has their struggles and perhaps just that some are hiding it than others. Yep. So there's something... So, so human beings are not, are not perfect. Mm. Yep. I think... Also, him saying that it you're like it ends at the grave. But reality is, it starts. Yeah. Yep. So the grave is an end for him. Yeah. There was almost a contradictory message. Yeah. I kind of I don't know if he actually said this, but I, I got the impression that he's saying you can't. We, we've all got struggles, and we're always going to struggle. We can't overcome them, and we can't improve. <laughs> and then at the same time. Our struggles and our demons stop us from improving, and if we, we ignore them, we, we overcome them. I don't know. There was a. It felt like there were two halves to that video to me when I watched yeah. it as well. That didn't necessarily sync. Yeah, yeah, I got that. So, what do you think? His assumption about what it is that's holding people back. What is it that's holding people back from from being the the yeah, um, self belief? Their full mm-hmm. self self belief. Yeah. So you if so when you're helping them, if it's self belief when you're helping them, when you're loving them, then you're believing in them. Is that do you think that's sort of a part of what he's saying? Because he never does he ever really explain what it means to love someone? No. No. So so I think I think perhaps behind what he's trying to say, and if I'm getting the gist of where he's coming from, you probably if he had more time, might say that he's help others to identify how to help themselves. Yeah. You know, help others to identify their strengths and encourage them and motivate them to help them move on with those. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's a problem that they can overcome with a bit of help. It seems like he's taking... Um, 
things that he might he probably doesn't even know they come from scripture, such as being other focused, yeah. putting away your own ego, being thoughtful of another person, their struggles and all that stuff, and then just um, sort of skipping over the part where that comes from. Yeah. And, um, yeah. That, that that's just the universe. Yeah. And I'm assuming it's not God. Because you would absolutely attribute that to God if it was. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't think this is a Christian video. Um, any other thoughts? Uh, let learning, be, in the video, learning begins and ends with ourselves. Yep. Yeah. While Christians believe it's with God's plan. That's right. Yeah, there's something outside us that, that, that gets to tell us the right way and the wrong way. Mary's mum told me how another mother. She said that you can pray to God and ask Him for things, but then you have to put in your share as well. Mm, yep. Pray as if, pray as if um, God's the only. No. What is it? It all depends on God. Work yeah. Pray as if it all depends on God, but work as if it all depends on you. <laughs> that's a saying. <laughs> um, I'm not saying that that's biblical wisdom because the Bible doesn't actually have that verse in it, but that's a saying. So I, I think perhaps perhaps the biggest difference between God's love and our culture's view of love this is this is just one variation of many. Um, but they what you'll find if you if you go to YouTube and you look up how to love people, how to be loving, you know that sort of thing, which is what teenagers do, by the way. Um, <clears throat> if you're wondering where your teenagers are coming up with these bizarre ideas, that's where they're coming up with them, or their friends who've done that. Um, perhaps the, it's good if they bring the video to you, by the way, because then you can you know, go through it with them. Perhaps the biggest difference between God's love and our culture's view of love is, is due to the difference in the understanding of the human condition, the human struggle, the, the human problem, what we're wrestling with. The world claims, as you saw, that human beings are basically inherently good creatures who suffer from something like ignorance or injury. Buddhism, for example, claims that all we need is enlightenment, which is rescue from ignorance. Whereas uh, the doctrine of social justice, what's now called wokeness, tells us that we need to be healed from the injury that a corrupt system has inflicted on us, or even just fix the corrupt system so it stops injuring us. And there's lots of variations. I mean, therapeutic, like moral therapeutic theism. I don't know if you've heard that term before, but there's a lot of, there's a contention that a lot of a lot of Western churches are not actually Christian. They're actually this new religion called moral therapeutic theism. So they believe in God, but God is a, God uses morals to to help you heal. Is that like mindfulness? <laughs> like this new kind of new age stuff? Mindfulness comes out of Buddhism. Yeah. Um, but it also has a there's there's sort of a variation of mindfulness from Christian mysticism as well. Mm-hmm. And the modern culture has sort of taken aspects of both of those, yeah. mostly Buddhism, but there's a little Christian flavour in there sometimes as well. Um, and it's and there's a lot of science that's fascinated with mindfulness as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, and that's a that's that's a solution to ignorance, right? 
if you're ignorant of, of, of your own body, your own self, your own feelings, your own emotions, your own reactions to things, your own experience of reality, then you, then you miss out on so much. It's, that's basically the message of um, Soul, for example, the, the Pixar movie, um, <clears throat> that you should live every moment of life. Live it. Um, Christianity makes a different claim from this. The problem isn't that people are just ignorant or, or injured. Paul writes, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Harsh words, Paul. But uh, you've heard them a few times. They're foundational words to the Christian worldview. And you can see that within these words, Christianity does recognise that ignorance is a problem, right? But it's a self-inflicted problem. No one understands, right? But they don't understand because they've turned away and they're not looking. Yeah, they're not looking for God. That's why they don't understand. And injury is a problem. People have become worthless. Their moral value has been injured. And, and often their physical being is injured as well. And their, their emotional being. Uh, but again, it's self-inflicted. They've turned away. That's why they've become worthless. They've abandoned the source of all good things, of their own reality, their own purpose. They've chosen to turn away from God, every human being. And... They've brought these problems on themselves. So because of that, Christianity insists that there is a necessary step before any healing, and that is to turn back to God. Repentance is motivated by a realisation that we are indeed abject failures, but we were created to be God's children. If we, didn't, if we don't have those two things, that recognition of our worthlessness now, but that we were made to be worthy, then, rep- then repentance can't happen. Paul says, um, oops, sorry, I missed that bit. Paul says, godly sorrow, godly sorrow, this recognition of our own worthlessness without God, but our value with God, brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow, this idea that there's no purpose, that there's, that there's no meaning, that there's, there's, there, the grave is just a site of regret, that all the, our treasures are going to end up there. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty sad and that sort of thing brings death, I think. Quite often it literally brings death. So thinking back on that clip, what did it say? We've already addressed this, but but think again, think a bit harder. Did it say, what did it say about how we are to love someone? What would you get out of it about how to love someone? It did Acceptance, yep, accept people, yep. Accept them as they are, right? Yeah. What else? Encourage them to see potential in yep. themselves. Yep. 
Anything else? I think that was basically it. The thing I found interesting was the fact that it wasn't what I expected. Yeah. I expected the video was going to be more self-orientated. Yeah. Right? And it actually wasn't that at all. Mm. Um, so I was quite, quite surprised. Yeah. There's a lot. Uh, that I watched a few videos and, for example, there was... One video talking about, I, I, I thought about playing this one, but it didn't quite fit, but it, it's fun to watch. It was about um, about how mature love is, and it, it was talking about, it used the image of the way that when we're kids, we have this one-directional love, we're totally dependent on our parents, so the parents love the kids, and the kids just take and take and take, and it had all these humorous sort of... Um, animated cutouts and stuff of kids and parents and parents doing things like going to sleep with their clothes still on because they were so exhausted and and um and then as you mature you you move into the more parental style of love and you love each other as parents which I thought was a little weird but but um it was trying to say that you need to be more other focused so that concept is is definitely in the culture um but the interesting thing is our passage which is we're talking about a couple of aspects of love has a very interesting take on how love interacts with others love does not delight in evil but it rejoices with the truth so it's important that we get these words clarified because there's a lot of meaning in these words. Everything that we've seen in this, in this, you know, this tight little uh, few verses, these words are really rich in meaning. But we've got to get the right sort of richness. So let's look at the first word there, um, and that word is rejoice. What? Does this word mean? The NIV translates it as delight in this particular verse. But you can see, even in the NIV, which this is, this is the NIV's translations of this word, 74 times in the New Testament, it's mostly translated as rejoice. But it also means glad, greetings, delight, joyfully. The picture the word paints is of someone who's, who's received genuine joy over something or from something. Remember Jesus' explanation of the parable of the lost sheep? It's in uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 7. After he's told that parable, he says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing, same word, in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So... That's the idea of rejoicing. It's this, this celebration, this, this joy-filled celebration. But, of course, love does not do that for our next word, evil, which is also wrongdoing or unrighteousness. So let's look at that word. This word, adikia, refers to the type of wrongdoing that's, that's actually breaking some rule. Right, that's that's where the Greek word comes from, and and all of these translations have that in common. It's breaking justice. It's breaking a moral law with evil or wicked. It's breaking some convention or 
or it's breaking honesty, etc. Unrighteousness is that it's disobeying God's law. Um, <clears throat> and sometimes in the New Testament it has that very specific theological meaning. But much of the time it's just referring to breaking the general sort of moral code that all humans agree on, uh, that they have written on their hearts. In fact, earlier in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about it when he, when he uh, complains about the type of sexual immorality that the, that the Corinthians are, are actually celebrating, the type of sexual immorality that even pagans do not tolerate, a man sleeping with his father's wife. And the Corinthian church was, was proud. So <clears throat> when he's talking about wrongdoing here, Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. He's, he's probably talking about a wide range of sins. Just being wrong. Wrongdoing is, is a good translation. But what does it actually mean that love does not rejoice in wrongdoing? Anthony Thistleton suggests that this goes beyond merely regarding the sin as wrong. So he's not saying that not rejoicing is not just sort of condemning the sin. But rather, and this is a quote from him, if we genuinely love a person, we should not take pleasure at conduct which gives us the opportunity to lecture them or rebuke them about their wrongdoing. Here again may be an allusion to overly ready pleasure in prophetic rebuke and pronouncing judgment on failures within the congregation. Does such a prophet or preacher genuinely love those whose welfare he or she claims to cherish if this gives pleasure? So, in other words, God's love, the love that we're talking about, takes joy in neither the wrongdoing itself nor in the naturally hurtful consequences. So... This is just for you to think about. It's a reflection. You can jot down some ideas on your sheet. But how often have you taken comfort or even joy in the idea that someone who's tormenting you will eventually or soon receive their comeuppance? Because that's what that's that's quite probably what Paul's talking about. Love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing doesn't rejoice in its consequences or in the action itself. Do you so. want to take food now? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, you know, there's yeah. someone that's pretty evil. Yeah. Mm. Is it, uh, it's a really interesting thought. I guess there's a difference, though, in wanting justice and being sad that it needs to be served. Mm than actually being happy that it's happened. There's a difference, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Because one is closed and the other is open. If you you are rejoicing in the consequences of wrongdoing, the the death, the wages of sin is death, remember, and, and if you're rejoicing in that, you're rejoicing in somebody's destruction. And God's God rejoices in a sinner being saved that's right. and that's what God's love is like and that's the love that we are being asked to model 
That's what I always had trouble with. It said, love your enemies. I mean, I found that the most difficult thing. It is hard. To throw that in there. Yeah. It just didn't make sense. And it, it, loving your enemies means yeah. giving up on that vengeance. Mm. Like, if God decides to forgive that enemy, you're stuck with them as a brother. Yeah. Which may not be a very pleasant sort of thing. I think um, with this, God seems to be like, he has one response and it's like damnation. So in the psalm it says, don't envy those who sin because like the grass stole wither. And don't fret because of ill men the same, the same way. And so often I think we want to have justice done in terms of somebody get their just desserts and little minor inconvenience or punishment like someone being pulled over when they speed past you or <laughs> someone, yeah. losing, someone losing their job. There's whole their, YouTube videos of that too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, loses, pretty fun to watch. Yeah. Someone loses their job because they, um, you know, like a bad at their job or something yeah. or like serve you in an inconvenient Rude, way right. or something. Yeah, exactly. So we have those kind of things whereas God sort of seems to be, so be patient. Let them, you know, go through this life doing whatever they want to do, being blessed, everything going well. I'll get them in the end. <laughs> and that's what I don't want. Yeah. Like, even with Putin, like, you might want, okay, there's all this death going on, right? But no one wants someone to suffer eternally, right? Yeah. And so we both, I feel really uncalibrated from God's justice because he rejoices in justice being done when people are actually punished for their sin mm. in a way that's much greater than what in my inadequate sense of justice thinks things is fair. Mm. But then in the joy that I would take at someone being mildly punished in the way that I would seem just, God says, be patient, that's in my hands, it probably won't happen until they die. Yeah. And so it kinda of like there's this disconnect between in three different ways. Yeah. God's view of sin is so much more sin is so much more weighty in God's view. God sees the weight of sin. And we don't. We think sin's trivial, which is why we're so comfortable with it. Uh, I used to pray, and used to pray, uh, that perpetrators and so forth, that they would see light, mm. right? Reveal yourself to them. Mm. And then I used to add to it, if you don't, take them out. <laughs> that was wrong. I don't do that anymore, but that's what I used to do. Yeah. 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 I think this is this is one of the things that the Christian has to learn to live with is is this idea of the weight of sin and of the sinful nature of the world and of the human heart and the fact that we're surrounded by sinners and that weight should we should grieve and so there should always be a, a, an element of of sadness to the Christian heart we but at the same time, this is one of those tensions in the Christian faith. At the same time, there's, we, don't, we don't stop rejoicing over the sinner who's saved. Heaven doesn't say, oh, there's all these other people still sinning, still unsaved. We're not going to rejoice until they're all saved. That's not how it works. And thank God for that. So there's, there's a real tension in our faith. So let's look at the second half of this verse. Love does not delight in evil or doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. What does that mean? For the first time, this is the first time in this passage that Paul's provided an opposite or a counter to one of his aspects of love. Well, I'm thinking of a scripture, I think it's 
third, the third epistle of John, yep. where he makes this statement. He says, you know, he's really happy, he's really joyful because some of his spiritual children are sharing the truth and believing in the truth and are loving one another. Mm. So, you know, I was reading a scripture in Romans chapter 6, I think at verse 6, and what do we know is the truth? Mm. You know, the world says that, you know, truth is relative or, you know, just get together a few guys with what their own itching ears want to hear. You're stealing my thunder relative now. Relative truth. But the thing <laughs> is that, like, it was saying, hey, this is the truth. The scripture says this and this and this in the word of God. That's the yeah. truth. You're going to anchor your life on that or you're going to anchor your life on all these other messages and all this other stuff. That's yeah. So truth, truth can mean a few things, and we'll, we'll, we'll tease that out a little. What you're saying is, is true, but it, there's more. But first, remember I said that we need to pay attention to prepositions? Look at that. Look at the different prepositions. Ah. Love rejoices in, does not rejoice in evil or wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Right? In the Greek, it's the difference is karai and sin karai. Sin is a prefix that means with. But what does that <coughs> with mean? There's, there's two ways of understanding this. It, it can just mean rejoicing with something is just joining them in the rejoicing, right? But it's hard to understand what that means when you're talking about truth. How do you, rejoin, how do you join truth in rejoicing? What, how does truth rejoice? And a second meaning is, is from that first meaning, um, the idea of, of sharing rejoicing actually multiplies it. So in Greek, sometimes that, sin, that prefix is used as a, an intensifier. So great rejoicing. So, but greatly rejoices in the truth. So... <clears throat> There's this idea of a much greater rejoicing, but what what does what is it rejoicing over? What is this truth? The word here, truth, which occurs 109 times in the New Testament, it's basically it's basically the same as the English word truth, which is why we don't get many translations into different words because the Greek and the English words have a very similar range of meaning. Um, so it's, it's not complicated for us to understand, except that we need to put aside all of the postmodern ideas of truth, right? Um, but even putting aside the postmodern ideas of truth, the ideas of relative truth, truth has a wide range of meaning. For example, does it mean this? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I think that's the sort of truth that you are talking about now. That's what John is talking about in his letters as well. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the ultimate reality, the, the, the undergirding of, of, of all of creation. Everything he says maps directly to reality and, and is reality. His word brings reality into being. So he is, he is the ultimate truth. He is the truth. Sorry, I've just given a sermon. I, here I said, what does that mean anyway? That's a good topic for another sermon. I just gave you that sermon. So, um, <coughs> so now you don't have to have that sermon. Um, or or does, it, does it mean this? 
Paul is talking to the Corinthians in chapter 5, that's the chapter where he's criticising them uh, for celebrating and even boasting about sexual immorality, and he says, uh, let us keep the festival not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He's speaking metaphorically, but, but here the truth that he's talking about is, is just uh, the real nature of the universe. He's talking about being true to reality, being true to what God has made, not to, not to the ultimate expression of God in Christ or the gospel, but true to God's creation. The universe is actually made, our universe, the universe that we live in, is actually made in such a way that, there, that some things are simply morally wrong. They just are. There's, there's no debating about it. There's no sort of discussion. They're just wrong. And most of the time people understand that. They have to get really messed up to not understand that. Most cultures agree on a whole bunch of things. Moral, morality is actually a part of the fabric of the universe, just like atoms and energy. And of course, this idea that morality is as fundamental to reality as atoms and energy is, is completely at odds with our postmodern culture. Our postmodern culture actually sees truth as a weapon to be wielded to gain power over others. What people call truth is a tool to manipulate and to, to um, force others to submit. So we cherry-pick evidence to, to mm. suit our own perspective. We indulge in the hu- fallen human error called confirmation bias, which makes us inclined to, to listen to those who agree with us. I mean, that's what social media is, right? It's a confirmation bias engine. Um, <clears throat> we choose our words so that, they, so that they imply something quite different from the actual truth. For example, we'll call someone stubborn or pig-headed if we disagree with them, but we'll call them persistent or strong-minded if we agree with them. Right? Love doesn't rejoice in this. Love is absolutely delighted when all of this is swept away and people focus on the truth that we all share, the reality that we all live in, the world that we all dwell in, the God who created and sustains each one of us. Love goes wild when people share this truth, when they care more about understanding both their own weaknesses and their strengths when they put as much effort into truly understanding others as they do into understanding and explaining themselves. When they put as much, when, they, when they're not just making excuses for themselves, but really trying to understand. That's love. And that's hard. Because in, the world, in a world where truth is weaponized, if you put that weapon down and you say, no, I refuse to use truth as a weapon. It's too precious for that. And I'm not going to distort it 
to use it as a weapon, you are laying down your arms. And when you do that, you're trusting in God. Yeah. So what's an area, an area in your life that you would love to be able to share with others, warts and all, and be able to rejoice with them, to be able to share with them like your strengths and your weaknesses, your fears and your, your hopes, your dreams and your desires. And rather than being afraid, you can just, rather than being afraid that they'll use this against you, and, and just in the last few weeks I've heard people say, I don't want to share because I'm afraid that this, that someone that I share with will use this against me. So this is a genuine fear and I'm sure that you've all felt it at times. What sort of things in your life would you love to be able to share with others? Deep things, weaknesses, strengths, work, warts and all and have them rejoice with you rather than rather than use that to hurt you. And what would it take? How much faith in God would it take? How much trust in the Holy Spirit's work would it take for us to be able to do that? Wouldn't someone only be able to rejoice with you if you share with them something that you've overcome, that God's helped you overcome? Because if it's something that you... Uh, I guess sharing what's involved then what are they going to rejoice with you on? Well when I shared with you stuff that I'd learned about myself that was a weakness you weren't happy that I had that but you were happy that I'd found that right? Mm. I think there's always rejoicing when you share it with someone and there's no judgment, you realise a liberation comes in and you realise, well, actually, everyone's in it together, so no one has the right to say, what are you doing? And yeah. everyone else is in the same place. So there's aspects of that video that had it right, mm. that, that you know, it's, it's empowering to be able to love people as they are, mm. but, but we don't have to have this imaginary sort of future person in our heads. Mm. We've, we've got God's, God's desire, God's design that, that we can all look forward to. And so when somebody, when I shared, you know, my discovery, my learning of, of my own weakness, you could rejoice with me that that's now something that won't hold me back. That's now something, well, it, it may still hold me back, but it, it's something that I can now deal with, that I can grapple with, that I can, you know... You know, sometimes I tell people, they ask me a question like, you know, uh, in my work, you know, what, what can you do, how can this be fixed? And I say, it can't be fixed, you're going to die. And you're going to die in the next month, right? And almost invariably, they say to me, thank you. You're the first person that's told me the truth. Now I know what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. So you think that releases them? Mm. It just changes how you approach. Changes how you step, can live. How you live when yeah. you know the truth, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And so it can be a bad truth. Yeah, it can be a horrible a truth. truth. But it's better to know the truth and be able to live 
knowing what's true. And I think, and that just as you were talking, it just made me remember that. Yeah. yeah. That those sort of conversations I have. So even that simple truth, not the gospel truth, but just that truth about yourself or your situation can set you free in ways. That's mm-hmm. what the verse I was thinking yeah. to know the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's very important. It's another issue, slightly on a different tangent, that um, one thing that stops me talking sometimes about what I'm doing is that those closest to me seems to say, oh, what are you doing that for? Spend more money on yourself <laughs> rather than helping others. So sometimes I find that those that, that are closest to us... Mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know, like if I've got something that God knows <coughs> on my heart that I want to do, and I know it's good, right? Um, I find myself quite often not telling others closest to me about it because they'll say, oh, what are you doing that for? You go to the bank, think about yourself, what you need, you know? Yeah. You know like, and so it's almost like it's a real downer yeah. if I share it with them because, you know, they're, oh, you, know, you need to think about yourself more. No? Mm-hmm. I think that's why God gave us yeah, encounters to do things in secret sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that also yeah. takes yeah. wisdom, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. 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 yeah, I think that, I think that um, sometimes uh, that's sort of the difference between a parent's love and God's love too because a parent has almost an indulgent love that because a parent doesn't, a parent sees what they desire for you. They yeah. see the child that they wanted. They don't see the child they have. That's and right. and your yeah. yeah, and so when you're loving them, you're not then parents often don't it's very difficult for parents to love their actual children. <laughs> they love their desired children and it's such a struggle to love your actual child. <laughs> But God does, God loves his actual children. I, I, I can read between the lines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think that in an area of, um, that says the question there uh, about sharing something with someone, you probably want to share it with someone who um, really understood the idea that our righteousness is filthy rags mm. compared with what the standard is that God has. And in that video, he referenced um, hope, that he likes one of his one of his favourite things is love giving hope to mm. people. But he didn't actually say what the hope was in with, with reference, with in the context of the death and the grave. Mm. Like the only hope you could have is to share and be helpful during your life. That's all the hope you're going to have. But when you want to share with someone what's and all and have a rejoicing situation, I think the only way that happens is if you have God reaching down and pulling you up out of whatever mess you've got. Yeah. This is, this is a dangerous thing to do, so I'm not recommending that you rush out to the nearest pub and do this to your <laughs> drinking... <laughs> do this to your drinking buddy. Um, but, uh, but this is something that we... This, I think this is the sort of love that we're supposed to have for one another as Christians. I think that's what yeah, Paul that's is saying. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what Paul is telling the Corinthians. You, this is love, not that distorted horrible thing that you think love is this is love 
So it's it's something that that requires vulnerability and and um, genuine trust. So I'm sorry it's run on a bit long. That's all your fault. Um, <laughs> but it's been great. Thanks for preaching. Um, and let's 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 close. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, please help us not to rejoice in wrongdoing, and especially when it seems that an annoying person will be caught and punished in their wrongdoing. Instead, help us to talk, to take the greatest delight in in really seeing clearly, in knowing what's true, not just what's convenient or comforting to us. In Jesus' name, amen.